The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Squawk Box. The headlines, a big comeback. U.S. futures surge while the Nikkei gains more than 4% amid broad-based gains for stock markets after Wall Street swings back from a negative session. The moves are driven by the Fed, which says it will begin buying individual corporate bonds on top of ETF purchases in what is seen as another shift to more active market intervention. The WHO calls for an investigation into new coronavirus clusters as the outbreak in Beijing grows and hospitalizations in Texas hit an all-time high. As I said to uh, the, the three presidents, um, you know, put a tiger in the tank because it's very clear what the, the UK needs and what uh, our, our EU friends, I think, need to, to understand. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson says a Brexit deal by the end of July is possible after talks with EU leaders and with a positive tone despite key sticking points. Help for Huawei. US tech firms are granted permission to work with the Chinese tech giant to develop 5G technology. As the Commerce Secretary says, America will not cede leadership in global innovation. So welcome to the program, everybody. The Federal Reserve has announced it'll start buying individual corporate bonds, deepening its reach into the corporate credit space to help prop up the U.S. economy. The move forms part of the Fed's emergency secondary market credit facility, which began buying broad-based ETFs last month. The central bank says issuers must meet its criteria of a triple B minus minimum rating and a maximum maturity of five years or less. Well, apparently that news flow helping change sentiment around equity markets. And uh, there is a, a, another reason as well, I guess. There is a, a note out that uh, you may or may not have seen. It's uh, been written up on CNBC. So go and take a look if you have the opportunity. Uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Michael Wilson, who works for Morgan Stanley, who put out a, a very upbeat note about where the S&P should be going, making arguments around the beginning of a new bull market phase for the market here and suggesting that uh, we should engage because ultimately all this support is going to help the economy have a very short and shallow rebound. Let's just have a look at the Dow intraday. Uh, and that gives you, I think, uh, a sense of the session and how we performed and how we picked up uh, some momentum here as uh, we ground through the session. Uh, and that note is important, I think, from uh, Mr. Wilson, because it, he was a man who was largely known for being bearish on the market, but he has turned a lot more positive, even though his expectations skip 
the 2021 earnings and move on to 2022 effectively and make the argument that earnings will pick up to justify multiple expansion here. The problem is, and let's just show you the, the Treasury market here, because I think these two stories li link together. We, we started the program talking about this Federal Reserve program to start buying individual corporate paper. Now, there is a connection between these two stories because Mr. Wilson's built his case on continual support from the Federal Reserve and other central banks here. But why is that support happening? And I think that's the bigger question you've got to ask yourself. In the five months of 2020, investment-grade companies borrowed on the debt market over a trillion dollars. That five months represented more than the whole of 2019. So apparently, investment-grade companies can, if they want, go out into the market and find buyers for their debt. So why does the Federal Reserve feel the need to get involved at this point buying investment-grade corporate paper from other institutions? And that's effectively what they're doing to, in inverted commas, help the market remain liquid but apparently it has been functioning or has it is that why we've seen some interest rates rising is that a reflection not perhaps of people embracing more risk but people getting nervous about overall credit quality in the economy at this stage you have to i think ask those questions yourself uh, if you buy into Mr. Wilson's more positive scenario for how equity markets can perform here. And the other question I would ask you is, even as the Fed goes out and buys those individual bits of corporate paper from other institutions, what do those institutions then do with that money? The Fed is hoping that they're going to go out and use it to invest in other things. But do they sit on it? Does that money sit dead? All questions that will ultimately be answered as we watch this U.S. economy and other economies around the world come out of the lockdown. So what is the demand picture like? Well, let's have a look at uh, WTI. Does that give us perhaps a fairer expression of how nervous some parts of the market are about how short and sharp this recession will be, how quickly we will see consumer demand come back. WTI at the moment languishing around $37 a barrel. The Brent quote, as you can see, just off $40 a barrel. Regardless of what I have to say here at the wall, whatever those red flags I may have raised at this point, the Asian markets don't care. They are picking up the ball and run, running with it. They are happy to experience the calls of more positive voices in the market and they are optimistic that the Fed is once again re-engaging in the corporate debt market. Is it adding clarity to pricing or is it just obscuring the pricing of that paper? You make up your own mind. Let's get out to Matt Taylor who can tell us how the Asian session's going. Matt, good morning. You said it, Jeff, a sea of green, and sorry to use that cliche on a day like this, but we are seeing gains of more than 4% for some of the major markets here, like 
Japan and South Korea in North Asia, Australia, in fact, doing well. You can see up by 245 points, 4.3%. New Zealand higher as well. Singapore, South Korea up by about 4.3%. In fact, in Australia, we're just looking at the ASX 200 and not a single stock trading there in the red out of those 200. China markets coming back from the lunch break. Shanghai up by about nine-tenths of 1%. So gains there a little bit more subdued because concerns still about that cluster of coronavirus cases uh, in Beijing. Japan was the big gainer today. The BOJ out with its decision, 1,000 points to the upside. Nothing changed, though, when it came to the BOJ policy remaining on hold and its asset buying program remaining the same. It did, however, announce it will increase the size of the previously announced lending package to troubled firms to about $1 billion. Jeff, that is Asia. Very strong day. Back to you now in London. Thanks very much indeed, Matt, for that. Well, let's refocus then on this corporate debt story. The Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan says US corporates and the government are right to increase their debt burden to deal with the economic fallout from the virus. But he stressed the Fed will closely monitor the debt levels as the US economy comes out of this crisis. Before the crisis, if you had heard me speak or read some of the number of things I've written, I flagged that I was very concerned about record level of corporate debt as an amplifier right. in a downturn. And I was also worried that the level of government debt to GDP, federal government debt to GDP, may well not be sustainable and that we keep growing government debt to GDP. It goes without saying as a result of this crisis, if I was concerned then, we've just, amp we've just ratcheted all that up uh, in order to deal with this crisis. We had to do it, but, but there's no question that government debt to GDP is now higher, annual deficits will be higher. The Fed also launched its special Main Street lending program, which will offer up to $600 billion in loans to larger companies through participating banks. The central bank says the scheme will target companies that may have been too big to qualify for Congress's Paycheck Protection Program. The latest Fed package took several months to finalise and marks a significant break from its traditional role as a lender solely to the banking sector. We're speaking to CNBC. White House economic adviser Larry Kudlow says he expects the US economy to continue reopening despite an uptick in US coronavirus cases. I mean, the health people will tell you we have much more experience we have a far better equipment, PPE and so forth. And it is essential, it is essential that we do abide by best practices. Uh, you know, face coverings where those are the local guides, uh, social distancing, um, perhaps temperature taking as people come back to work. So I, I, I don't think there's any chance at this point, uh, knowing what we know, that there will be a, a second uh, increase, a second wave, and uh, no shutdown in the economy. Secretary Mnuchin is right. There's no intention of even thinking about shutting down the economy. Larry Kudlow, our colleague stateside, will bring you live coverage of Fed President Jerome Powell's testimony before the Senate Banking Committee later today. Powell is set to begin speaking at 1600 CET. Let's just revisit the U.S. futures for a moment here just to show you uh, how excited uh, the market appears to be uh, by the prospect of the Fed engaging in buying individual bits of paper from uh, U.S. companies. Jeff Henriksen is found 
founder and CEO of Thorpe Abbott's Capital. Jeff, good morning to you. I'm, I was reading your website, Generating Alpha by Identifying Mispricings in Public Markets. Where, where are the opportunities as you see them at the moment, Jeff? Hey, good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, so uh, we are, um, you know, we've been bullish really since March and, uh, and we're still very bullish, uh, although some of the obvious values that we found in March aren't as obvious anymore, but we think there are a lot of opportunities. I think that smaller cap and mid cap cyclicals uh, and the more value oriented names are, are really where we're finding the most interesting opportunities at the moment. Companies that we think have uh, strong balance sheets that will be able to weather the, the rest of the coronavirus storm and that are trading below what we believe are uh, a, a kind of normalized earning power once we get through the crisis. And we think there are a lot of opportunities in that space. And to be honest, I really think there's an opportunity for value. I know there's this whole value growth debate, but I think if you look at what really, what you need to have value work, you need uh, mean reverting situations and cheap valuations. And for the last 10 to, yeah, call it 10 years, you've had pretty expensive valuations, even in the value stocks. And you've had a lot of let's just say a, a, more than your statistical share of non-mean reverting situations. But what we saw in March is that, uh, especially in the smaller cap space, valuations just got very, very cheap. And we see a lot of companies that we think are really excellent businesses that you can grab at bargain still, even though we've had a bit of a, an up move here since March, or I should say a bit of an up move, quite a bit of an up move. Um, so that's what we're looking, one of the small cap kind of cyclical value names at the moment. Yeah, that's fascinating. We have come a long way here, but it's interesting. I, I was referencing Michael Wilson over at uh, Morgan Stanley, whose note's getting a lot of attention because he is very bullish uh, on the outlook here. And one of the arguments he makes is that this is just such an unloved rally, that sentiment remains <laughs> relatively right. beaten up in spite of how right. far we have come at this stage. How relevant is that? to you for the for the way that you invest yeah i think it's very relevant and you're absolutely right that this has probably been one of the most hated rallies uh, i i thought the rally uh, coming out of uh, 0809 uh was pretty hated but this one's been even more so and you know you know in a weird way uh and if we have enough time i'd love to talk about everything going on with the fed at the moment but in, in, in a weird way, uh, the more people that are waiting for the lows to be retested, waiting for the bottom to fall out again, uh, to me, the less likely it is to occur. Not that we won't have volatility. I think you, you're going to continue to have dueling narratives in this market. On the one hand, you've got uh, you know continuing efforts to contain the virus, reopening, uh, threat of a second wave. And then on the other hand, you just have unprecedented uh, stimulus from both uh, monetary and fiscal authorities, uh, really globally. Uh, that have, it's been designed to basically stave off financial Armageddon. And, and we're seeing these narratives play out like daily. I mean, yesterday I woke up and the futures were down, what, 2.5%, and then we ended up over 1% up on the day. So you're seeing this battle play out daily, and I think it will continue to play out until we get clarity on a vaccine uh, and a cure or both. But ultimately, we're very optimistic because we think, one, you've got the smartest minds in the world trying to solve the problem with the coronavirus. And we think ultimately you get there. And then when you do, too, you've, you've got just record stimulus in the economy, uh, especially on the monetary side, which will have side effects. And uh, probably my biggest concern is uh, that you have a, an arguably overlevered corporate sector that gets even more overlevered and you have to go through a balance sheet. Um, uh, 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 you yeah. have to go through a period where you kind of deleverage that balance sheet. But ultimately, I think we're going to be in a good spot once we get past uh, what we're going through now.
Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Oh, I should say Jeff, Jeff, Karen, shouldn't I really? Look, look, come on, Jeff. This market, as we've just said, has had an almighty great rally since March. Every asset on the planet that is worth its salt is being bid within an inch of its life. Every bond that's worth having is being bought into extraordinary uh, nosebleeding territory. Every equity we think is going to survive has been bought. What on earth have we got the Fed going directly into the corporate bond market for, buying potentially the stocks that have been left behind a little bit, the ones that the market has decided, you know what, you might not make it in the 21st century in a post-COVID world. Why on earth is the Fed trying to distort the market, a market that is already, in some people's eyes, not yours, Jeff, but in some people's eyes, in bubble territory? Yeah, no, and absolutely you're right. There are assets I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, And there are overvaluations in parts of the market. And uh, if you you play the short side, there are probably going to be some opportunities there. There are parts of the market that are still very undervalued, and that's what we're focused on. Look, why did the Fed do this? They had no choice. I mean, we were facing, and we still are facing, the equivalent of just this economic black hole, this economic desert, as, as we've called it. And Jerome Powell and, 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 and the Federal Reserve basically stood up and said, we will buy anything and everything under the sun to prevent financial Armageddon from happening. And, and man, there are going to be consequences to this, and we can, we can talk a lot about what those will be. But the alternatives, I think, um, were a lot worse. And the interesting thing is, is they haven't really bought any bonds yet. That's the funny thing. You know, if you look at like, I mean, the balance sheet's gone from what, like $4 trillion, I think around 19% of GDP when all this started to like over $7 trillion now. It's almost a third of U.S. GDP. But none of the big bond programs have really been ramped up yet. I mean, you're looking at primary corporate credit facility. I got all these names, right? Secondary market corporate credit facility, the Main Street lending facility, even the TALF program. If you actually look at the Fed's balance sheet, those didn't haven't ramped up yet. So it's just been the, 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 the threat and the belief that they're going to do it that's really driven so much of this. So, I mean, you're at $7 trillion now in the terms of the Fed's balance sheet. That could be getting upwards to over 10 maybe 11 I just really don't think that you want to be betting against that. And I know a lot of people are, but I just think that's probably a mistake. They, right. I mean, they're going to do whatever it takes. It's the Mario Draghi moment uh, in terms of whatever it takes to get us through this. And uh, – Ultimately, I think they'll be successful. Right. Jeff, you get the impression that the Fed has not done yet. I mean, yield curve control hasn't exactly been announced yet, and that's still one of the tools the Fed could roll out at this stage. And there is a view that if we see bonds pinned at lower levels, that there could be more appetite for growth stocks yet again, even if some quarters of the market do not like the rally we've seen in technology that's carried us close to those peaks again, although we've peeled back from those levels. What do you make of the fact that growth stocks could continue to rally if we get more Fed support? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, I mean, I think it depends on which growth stocks you're talking about. I think there are growth stocks where the valuations are just so stretched, you really, the risk reward isn't there. But if you look at companies, I, I mean, I hear people constantly saying the S&P, and this is a mistake I think people make, they look at the S&P and they say it's trading at very historically high multiples. And, and uh, if you look at what is inside the S&P now, these are not uh, the same companies that were there 20 years ago. I mean, you're filled with a lot of wonderful, amazing businesses and technology space. Look at your Microsofts, your Apples, your Googles. These companies should trade on our multiples. They're better businesses. They're less capital intensive. They've got amazing growth prospects. And you're also looking at an interest rate environment that, uh, that rates are dramatically lower than where they were 10 years ago. So the idea that we take a historical multiple and say, well, the S&P should be somewhere at 15 to 17 times, I don't see any reason why the S&P can't be at a much higher multiple and for that to be sustainable, given the change in dynamics. Now, that said, look, I, 
Zoom at 50 times board revenues. I mean, that's, yeah, there's some, there's some ideas out there that are way too rich for my blood. But I think there's probably a lot of upside for both growth and small cap cyclical value names. I think both can perform well. And, and a barbell strategy is not a bad way to play it either, where you get uh, part of your portfolio in uh, the longer term growth names. And you also get, uh, you know, the more beaten up cyclical recovery names. I think both could do well uh, in the next three to five years. And look, if you look out three to five years, we're going to get a cure to this in a vaccine. That's, that's almost, I mean, I'm not going to say it's guaranteed, but I think it's highly, highly probable that we do. And when that happens, our view is that life will go back to not 100% normal, but it's going to go back pretty close to more, to, to a lot more closer to normal than people think. And uh, there's a lot of cheap companies still that you can, that should be trading a lot higher, I think, and you have a, a two to five year horizon. Jeff. And, and I think it, it pays to be optimistic here. We've got to wrap up with you, but thank you so much for joining us this morning. Jeff Henriksen, hey, founder and CEO of Thorpe Abbott Capital. Coming up on the program, Beijing steps up restrictions as uh, a new outbreak grows. We'll have more details on that story. Uh, plus, for more on the Fed's unprecedented move into individual corporate bonds, check out the Squawk Box podcast. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. The World Health Organization has called for a, quote, systemic and exhaustive investigation into the emergence of new coronavirus clusters after Beijing saw over 100 new cases linked to one food market. The WHO's Director of Emergencies says identifying the specific risk factors that are generating the clusters is the only way to limit their spread around the world. Cases continue to rise in South America uh, they now account for over 20% of worldwide infections. In the U.S., Texas has reported its highest number of daily hospitalizations since the virus began taking overall cases in America above the 2 million mark. The global tally of confirmed infections has now topped 8 million. Authorities have tightened controls and stepped up testing in Beijing as cases linked to a new outbreak cross 100. The uh, Chinese capital has lifted the threat level in over 20 districts and is banning high-risk individuals from leaving the city. Let's get an update on the story from Sam. So this just seems to be going from bad to worse, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning to you, Jeff. So Chinese authorities reported 27 new cases in Beijing yesterday, bringing the total number of cases in the capital as part of this new outbreak to 106 people. Now, we know that these new infections have been linked to a food market in Beijing, actually the biggest wholesale food market uh, in Asia. But uh, 
Right now, authorities, while trying to control the spread clearly, are also trying to find out exactly where this new cluster came from. So Chinese state media are reporting that uh, this came from chopping boards used for imported salmon. Now, the World Health Organization has said that this claim does need to be explored because the coronavirus um, has the potential to survive on surfaces, including packaging. But it's saying it's not the primary hypothesis right now. Still, though, China has reportedly stopped buying salmon from Europe. It's also uh, taken salmon off supermarket shelves in the capital. But of course, this is significant because we went more than 50 days without a new case of the coronavirus in Beijing and life had really tried to uh, get back to normal there. But now we are seeing this high alert level has been raised in the area where this market is situated. That means that no economic activity is able to resume right now. We're seeing checkpoints um, back up again, authorities walking around in hazmat suits around the streets in what's been called a wartime mode. Schools have been closed. People have been urged to get tested. And authorities are said to have screened around 200,000 people uh, said to have been to the market. And officials, as you say, are saying this high risk. People are not to leave the city. This is not a Wuhan style lockdown, uh, but certainly some transport has been suspended going out of the city. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.